the request of the flutists or flautists um, that we might open our eyes that we might be able to see Jesus and what God has for us this morning. We're in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. Don and Judy appreciate that very, very much for sharing with us. Luke chapter 18. We have been, we've been studying the life of Christ and um, again, lessons for the disciples. This kind of, things sort of reach a peak um, in today's lesson, uh, especially uh, with a question that Peter brings up uh, later in our discussion here in chapter chapter number 18. Uh, the disciples have been learning all these different things, and from the very first, Jesus told them that to be a disciple, is, it's different than just being a believer. To be a disciple, you need to deny yourself, you need to deny your family, you need to forsake all, you need to follow me, you need to be willing to die for me. Pharisees, he says, they are false shepherds, they're hirelings, they're self-righteous, they're blind. Um, they, uh, they're looking for the praise of men. Um, they've lost their focus, they're covetous, uh, they cannot serve two masters. He says to them that uh, whether it makes any sense to you or if it's never crossed your mind before, the possibility is that you Pharisees will be left out of the kingdom. And to be left out of the kingdom means there is a place called hell that they were familiar with, and, but the idea that they would ever themselves end up in such a place, uh, it's like almost never crossed their mind. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and uh, he also raises the attention of the Pharisees and the and a high priest by the name of Caiaphas. The Pharisees are like, oh, what are we going to do? They're in some, somewhat of a panic. It's like, what, what, what are we going to do? And, and Caiaphas says, well, it's kind of necessary that he must die. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to suffer trouble from the outside. Matter of fact, it's impossible not to. And certainly we live in a world where that is going to be the case. Uh, already things like that are taking place. It's, you know, we think as Christians, our my prayer has at least been in, uh, from Timothy where it says that, you know, pray for those in authority over you that we might be able to lead a quiet and a peaceable life. And my translation is that is that they might just leave us alone. Um, <clears throat> but they won't. They will find us. They will. Uh, and he says, you'll have trouble from the outside. It's impossible not to. But he does say to his disciples, I'll take care of it. If the trouble comes from outside, I'll take care of it. If the trouble comes from inside, then you need to take care of it because you need to rebuke that person. That person needs to repent, and then you need to forgive that person. And that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of real fast in a nutshell, but it's like when, when we see someone doing that which is not pleasing in God's sight, we need to say, okay, this isn't right. Their correct response would be to go, whoa, you know, you're right. I, I shouldn't be doing this. And then restoration and forgiveness. And usually what happens is, uh, well, we kind of look the other way when people are doing what they're not supposed to be doing, and we don't want to get involved, and we don't want to mess things up, and it's like, I'm not going to say anything, so you don't say anything. And then if you do say something, uh, you know, they get mad, and they don't repent, and then, then if they do try to come back and say, well, we're not forgiving them for what they did. And so we usually do the opposite of all, all three of these things that God asks us to do. The Pharisees ask him about the kingdom, and he says, what's well, right here? 
<clears throat> if you would just receive me, it's right here. It's right within your reach. It's within your grasp. One day you will long for my return. And in the meantime, there'll be many false Christs and many pretenders, but do not fall for that. Do not be led astray. He says, right before I do come back, though, it'll be a very difficult time. It starts with the abomination of desolation and the time of Jacob's trouble, much difficulty for the people of Israel. And he tells them, he says that you need to you know, work through this, through turmoil and trouble, pray, do not faint. Don't get caught up in earthly treasures. Don't go back to the house to get your stuff. And a lot of what we're going to look at today is the same thing. It's the idea of what are we attached to? What is important to us? And, I, and it is, I know it's strange, and other, other people have said the same thing to me, but the older I get, the less important my stuff is. I, I don't know, I, I can't explain that. I, I am, you know, for a long time I'm, I'm a hoarder of sports memorabilia and uh, baseball cards and all this kind of stuff and, and things. And, and, I, and I look around my garage and I look and I said, what? I don't, it's stuff. It's, it's just stuff. And at one point in my life it was like, you know, you try to take this and I'll beat the living daylights out of you. Now I don't care. <laughs> it's like, and... Um, it's just, it's just stuff. And, and he says, don't, don't get caught up in earthly treasures and don't go back to the house. Don't compromise to save your physical life. He said, if you compromise to save your physical life, especially in that tribulation period, the compromise would be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive the mark of the beast. That way I can buy and sell. And that way I won't be a target of everybody else. I'm going to cave into this. And he says, well, then you're going to lose your life. If you end up losing your physical life because of the stand that you take, he says, you'll find eternal life. Pray, don't faint. It may seem like a long time, but God's judgment will come and it'll be swift and it'll be complete. He tells his disciples, don't be self-righteous. He tells them the story of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee was self-righteous. He trusted in, it says, they trusted in themselves. They prayed with themselves and they looked down on others. He said, but there was a publican, though, he stood afar off. He did not lift his eyes upward to heaven. He smote on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Again, we talked about the posture, even the posture of prayer, therefore, that would be encouraged by the rabbi in the temple. And it was one of standing, but it was bowing, bowing at the waist, hands on your heart, and eyes closed. And this is how, you know, well, other than the fact he's beating on his chest, other than the fact that that was taking place, the, the publican did it exactly like you're supposed to, and the Pharisee's like, ah, oh, you know, I thank you that I'm so awesome and, and, and not like these other people. Jesus' response was to his disciples, who do you think? Who do you think, whose prayer was heard? Who went away justified? Who went away declared righteous in God's sight? And then we, last thing we talked about was the children coming to Jesus, and again, this is, uh, I'm gonna intertwine this again with what we talk about today. Uh, I want you to think of the Pharisees that were covetous. I want you to think of the warnings about uh, not getting tied up with earthly stuff. And I want you to think about this idea of children. Allow the children to come. Forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is made up of people who have faith as a little child. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And, and it's a contrast. This child is a contrast to the Pharisees who are full-grown people, proud and hypocritical. And these children are humble, and they believe whatever you tell them. 
And even the contrast between that and the rich young ruler that we're looking at in chapter 18, verse 18, this is where we are to start. Chapter 18 of Luke, verse number 18. If I ask you the question again, what is God capable of doing in a little child's eyes? You talk to little children about God or kindergarten, first, second grade, what is God capable of in the eyes and thoughts and minds of a little child? The answer is anything. Let's twist it around just a hair. What would a little child do if Jesus asked them to do it? It's the same answer. Anything. And here's kind of where these stories get linked together. What can God do in a little child's mind and a little child's heart? What is God capable of? Anything. What would you do for Jesus? Anything. Well, chapter 18 is the man who had everything, eh, almost. The man who had everything, almost. <clears throat> Verse number 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why, why do you call me good? No one is good, none is good, save one. No, that, that would be God. Well, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he says, well, all of these I have kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yeah, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. This story is also found in, in Matthew chapter 19, and we'll refer to that a number of times, and Mark chapter 10. So we'll go back and forth and, and, and reference these things. Here in, in Luke, it says he was just a certain ruler, and he was a ruler that was very rich. So that would put him in our Pharisee category, for, for sure. Um, but we also find in Matthew chapter 19, verse number 20, that he was a young man. He was a young man. And um, so he's rich, young, and a ruler. Rich, young, and authority. Okay. Uh, my wife and I have a larger house and more money than we've ever had in our entire life. Okay, now that's, maybe that's a bad thing to say right before... Um, <laughs> right before we think about salary for next year. But, but, but I will tell you, that it's, 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 we have a, a bigger house and more spendable cash than we've ever had in our life. And it's almost like things are backwards. When I was young, and we had three kids to raise, you know, Dave Ramsey's telling us something, oh, you need to save for college. Okay. If I saved money for my kids to go to college, they would have starved to death. There wasn't any money. We don't have any money. And it's like, it's like okay, so it's like, when I, like, can't we just switch it around? Let's give us all the money when we're young and then have us nothing when we're old. How many think that's, no, I'm sorry, we won't ask that. Uh, but it's, it's, like, it, it's like rich, young, and in a position of authority. This is one of those, it's almost like a, a joke or a story you would tell 
uh, the, the guy found the lamp on the beach and he rubs the lamp and the genie says, I'm going to give you three wishes. Well, man, I, I, wanna, I want my youth back and I want money and, and, and I want uh, to be king of the world. I, you know, I, I, you know, th- these are things that people would want. Who would not want what this guy has? He has youth, he has power, he has money. <sighs> He's got it all. But yet he comes to Jesus saying, what do I need to do to have eternal life? This passage says, again, and this is another one of the reasons why I use these parallel passages and compare them. It just says in this one, a certain ruler asked him saying, well, let's, let's go back to Mark chapter 10. Look what, it, this is how that one starts. And we, when Jesus had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This changes the story for me. I, even when I've looked at this before, I've thought, well, the rich young ruler, he's a snobbish little snort that God told him, you know, and he just doesn't want to listen to God, and he just walked away. I want to, I want to express this story to you in a little bit different way this morning. And I want to start with the fact that this guy came running to Jesus and knelt down in Jesus' presence. So if he is a young Pharisee or a young Paul, whatever, like Saul was as a young man, if he's a you know, rich, young ruler, he has run in the presence of all the crowd and fallen on his face and his knees before Jesus to ask him this question. And again, there's no place in this passage or any of these passages where it says that, oh, he asked him these questions to trick him or to trap him. This young man is in the same category as Nicodemus. He really wants to know. Nicodemus never got a chance to ask his question because God's kind of read his mind and knew his heart and said, you know, um, you know you, Nicodemus, listen, the answer to your question is you must be born again. Okay? And Nicodemus never even asked a question, but he, Nicodemus wanted to know. This guy wants to know. He's not messing with Jesus. He's not trying to trap him. He's not trying to trick him. He's not, he, he really wants to know. And he's a good guy. We're going to see this. He's, he's not only young. He's not only rich. He's not only um, one of those things. But has power. He, he's going to be godly, too. He's going to be a good moral man. This is like, well, what, else, what, what else is there? But he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he, and he asks a sincere request. How, what do I do? How do I earn salvation? What do I have to do? And again, this is the problem that a lot of folks have, a lot of religious folks have, because somehow in our human nature, it's built something that if I'm going to get rewarded, I have to earn it. I have to do something. And every single religion on this planet, with the exception of biblical Christianity, is based on the idea of doing something, earning it. I have to go on a pilgrimage. I have to light candles. I have to be on my knees. I have to be facing a certain direction. I've got to kiss a statue. I've got to, you know, I've got to do this and this and this and this. I've got to attend services and I've got to give money and I've got and everything's based on I've got to do. I've got to do. I've got to do. And it's all like what what I need to do. I I I'll do all these things. And then, then I will earn salvation. Then I will earn God's favor. 
And biblical Christianity is what we believe is the fact that God's already done it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He, He paid it all. All he asked us to do is believe and accept and receive. It's like, what must I do to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what you, that's all you have to do. It's not working for salvation. And he's like, what? And, and he's going to list, and, and almost in the same category as, as Martin Luther, the Augustinian monk, who sacrificed, and he put himself in a monastery, a monastery where they, uh, they worked hard, they slept little, uh, they beat each other when they had, you know, it's like, I had some bad thoughts, I need you to punish me, and they literally would beat and whip each other for their bad thoughts and bad behavior, and, and finally Martin Luther goes, what else am I going to do? What else do I have to do to get peace in my heart about this relationship with God? I've done everything. And even to the point where at one point he says, I hate God. I hate you, God, because I do all these things to appease you, and I still don't feel any better. And then one day he found the just shall live by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so the idea here is, what what shall I do? And it's going to be very similar because this young man's going to say, I mean, I've done everything I can think of. What shall I do? He came running, fell at Jesus' feet, kneeled down. And then he says in verse number 19, or, uh, or verse number 18, he says, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Let's, let's back up to the good master part. Because the first thing that Jesus says in verse number 19, why did you call me good? Now, it seems like a very innocent statement. Good master. You know, uh, the great and powerful, uh, you know, whatever. It, it, it's, like, it's, a hard, it's just like, you know, uh, good master, good teacher. Okay. Well, the word good here means to be intrinsically good, to be good from the inside out. The word need, is to be good and holy on the inside. So thus Jesus' words are going to be like, why do you call me that? There's only one. There's only one person who's intrinsically good. There's only one who is good from the inside out, and that's God. And so what he's asking him is, is young man, are you calling me God? Is, is that what you're calling me? My master... And again, that word is interesting as well. If a person is your master, it's sort of like your wish is my command, right? You are, I used the genie illustration earlier, so maybe, um, master. The word master is like you are, you know, your word means something to me. It carries weight. It carries value. Uh, If you tell me to do something, I will do it. There's master, servant, good on the inside. And so what he has just said is good on the inside, master. Someone that I know is intrinsically good, which (laughs) you are God, and you have the right to tell me what to do. You are my master. And Jesus asked me, do you really believe what you just said? that. It's like he just says it. And sometimes if you're not careful, we likewise, even as believers, we just say things. 
You know, the Lord is our master. The Lord is, you know, the Lord is in control of my life. And, you know, <laughs> really? Is he? Is that true? Or does it just sound good to say that? Oh, he's my Lord and he's my master and I serve the, a living Savior. He's in the world today. Really? Do you? Or do we just say it? And Jesus says, is, is this true? He says, because you do understand that the only one who is really good, is, is this just flattery? Because the only one who's good from the inside is God. Are, are you calling me God? Are you calling me master? Jesus approached this subject earlier in chapter 6 of Luke. When he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I ask you to do? Why do, you, why do you call me master? And, and of course, Jesus knows the heart of this young man. And here's what I think is interesting, and this is what I want to maybe change in your mind and in your thought process. This young man really wanted to know. This man really thought Jesus had answers for him. He ran and fell at Jesus' feet. And I think his heart is good. I think his heart is right. I think he, I think he wants to know. And like I said, he's not, he's not trying to trick Jesus. He's not messing with him. He just, you know, it's not like, what is the greatest commandment? You know, trying, he's not doing that. He wants to know. And his question is, um, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, I think I've, Matthew verses are here, maybe. Yeah. Same story from Matthew, and it says this, And behold, one came and said, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And again, it's like, <laughs> where have I fallen short? What, what, what am I missing here? I've been doing all kinds of stuff. What, 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 what am I lacking? What, what is missing? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, if you want to have eternal life, then you need to keep the commandments. Now, of course, that's a strange thing for Jesus to say, because now it does sound like we're working again for this. But again, you know, when you talk about the commandments, and I, and I want to set this up for you as well, the head of all these things is love. And then the commandments are based on two things, loving God and loving others. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, there's ten to choose from. And he chose, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That's not one of those ten. <laughs> and he said, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he put as the top of the commandments, loving God and loving others. And then all those ten commandments fit underneath that category. And then there are all kinds of commandments underneath those ten that... Pour it out to be like 635 or something like that, okay? Uh, there are lots and lots and lots of commandments, okay? And then the bottom line, of course, what we understand is the fact that you can't keep them all. And the commandments are there and the law is there to show you that you are a sinner. It's our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. It's the, it says that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't do this. We can't keep all of these commandments. It's not a possibility, so now we are sinners, and, and we can't get to heaven by keeping the commandments because it can't be done. And Jesus says, I need you to keep the commandments. <laughs> okay. 
And he's trying again to reason with this young man that the young man already knows. And, and the young man already knows this is not the right answer. He already knows this is the wrong answer. Um, because he says to him, which one? Think about that answer for a minute. It's a strange, unusual answer. Jesus said, I need you to keep the commandments. Well, which one? Which one? Which, which, which one am I lacking? He says, I'm, I'm doing the best I can to keep all the commandments. Which one am I? Where am I failing? Where is, where is my problem? Where, which one am I not doing? Which one? As opposed to going like, oh, dear, you know, Lord, this is too many. Are you kidding me? He goes like, which one? Which one? Strange question. And then it goes on to list them. Um, next slide. Don't commit adultery. That's commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Do not kill. It's commandment number six. By the way, they're not in order as he, as he lists them here. As Jesus says, well, adultery. And the kid's going like, I haven't done that. Well, don't kill anybody. I, was like, no, I haven't done that. Don't steal from anyone. I, said, All right. I don't think I've done that. Don't lie and bear false witness. I haven't done that. Honor your mom and dad. You see what we have here is we have commandment five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Goes on. In another account, Matthew says, Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that is in that category. Loving God and loving neighbor. And the loving the neighbor category is honor mom and dad, don't kill them, don't steal, don't lie. All those five through ten are in the loving your neighbor category. Because even in another passage, Mark brings up, thou knowest the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear fault witness, defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. He adds, the defrauding one would be to covet thy neighbor's wife or to you know, take thy neighbor's wife or to take thy servant. It's like I want them, I see them, I want to take them for myself. So we've now fulfilled five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So again, we have love, loving God with all your heart, loving your neighbor as yourself. He says you need to love your neighbor as yourself. You need to not commit adultery. And he lists five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The response to that, or that side of the table of commandments. The response to that is what? He says, uh, verse number 21, all these I have kept from my youth up. I've kept all of these. I've not, I've, I've not, I've not done anything against my neighbor. I, I've loved my neighbor and I've honored my parents and I've not b- borne false witness. What else? What am I missing? I've done all these things, yet I have no peace. Well, what is missing? What's missing is the first four. And they come into the category of loving God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything heaven above or on earth beneath. Uh, 
Thou shalt not uh, take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's one through four. But the first one, let's just, go, let's just do number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That way, even the word before means alongside of or above. Thou shalt have no gods that are equal or above. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That is missed. That is not shared. That is omitted. When he says, I've, I've done all these, what am I lacking? Where, where, where am I coming up short? I've, I've observed all these from my youth. Now, here, I want to show you this passage. This, is, this was a, this one, Master, I'm sorry, this is, um, I've alluded to this already. This was an earlier passage when they asked, <coughs> Master, which is the great commandment in the law? They said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great command. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And it says, On these, next one, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, so we've established that. But look at this next verse. We got defraud not as number 10, so we got all these. What's missing? All the commandments to deal with a loving God are missing such as putting nothing before God. Let's look at the, these two verses in Mark uh, threw me for a loop because it changed my whole view of the rich young ruler. And Jesus answered, and he answered and said, Master, all of these, all of these things that you listed, all of these I have kept and observed from my youth. Verse 21. Then Jesus beholding him Loved him. This is like, this is like our psalm stuff. This is like, pause and think about that. Again, I want to I want to set the stage for you because this is important. He, Jesus is with a crowd of people, moving on from place to place. This young man comes running out of nowhere. This rich young ruler comes running out of nowhere, falls at Jesus' feet, kneels at his feet, and calls, "Oh, good master, what what?" <laughs> I'm driving myself nuts over this. What else do I need to do to, to, to get eternal life? I, I'm, I'm trying my hardest. I'm doing my best. I'm giving it all I have. I, I've, I've, I've kept all these commandments from, from the time I was young. Which, which one am I lacking? Which one am I missing? What's, what's, the, what's the problem? What do I, please help me. And Jesus looks at him. It says he loves him. He loves him. Jesus wants so much for this young man to get it or to understand. He wants him to get it. He wants it. He loved this man. He's like, please. He loved him. Beholding him, he loved him. He knew the young man's heart. But the young man had to make a choice. What was he lacking? Verse number 22 of Luke chapter 18 says, And when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You lack just one thing. Now, it sounds like a bunch of things, but it's just one. Sell what you have and give it to the poor. And then I'll give you treasure in heaven. And I want you to come and follow me. I want you to sell everything you have. 
Interestingly enough, in the book of Acts, Barnabas does exactly that. Gives away, sells all of his possessions to the point where Ananias and Sapphira try to pretend that they've copied the same idea. But Barnabas does. He sells it all and gives it away. But is that, but is that a requirement? That's what we have to do to get to heaven? We've got to sell all of us? No, that's not, that's not it, and that's not the point. But what he's trying to, he's trying to get to the young man's heart. What do you really believe? What do you really think? Young man, you're going to have to make a choice. I need you to be more concerned about heavenly things than you are about earthly treasure. This is where it pulls it all together. Don't go back to your house. Don't try to save your stuff. Remember Lot's wife. The Pharisees were covetous and self-righteous. Have a faith of a little child. If Jesus asked a little child to give up everything and follow him, you say, well, that's not fair because a little child doesn't have that much. But if a little child, it just says, you know, if, you know, I don't know. And, and, I'm, and I'm just making this up on the fly, but uh, I, I remember my, my two little boys, when they would play, you know, one had 75 cars, and they're playing with 75 cars, and the other one has one, okay? And the one with 75 cars it, uh, is now fighting with the other one. And I'm like, what are you fighting for? I want that white car. I want that white car. And I'm like, you have all these other cars. <laughs> why, why do you want the white car? I, I just want that. And I was playing with it, and I just kind of put it down for a second, and he took it. And Okay. Selfish snorts. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? As they fuss and they fight. And, but if Jesus says, can I have the car? Can I have all your little cars? Can I have all your little matchbox cars? I think the kid says yes. I think the child says yes. It's Jesus. If Jesus wants it, Jesus can have it. The faith of a little child, the belief of a little child. He says, come and follow me. Matter of fact, there's even more. Mark, Mark chapter 10, uh, same passage again, same concept. Um, uh, good. Jesus looked around and said unto the disciples, no, this is no... Did we, did we miss it? Can we back up a little bit? Are we going backwards or forwards? I want to go backwards. Go back, keep going backwards. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. All right, next one. Forward now. So all you have, okay, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Take up my, oh, that, oh this, is, this is the part I want, yeah. Um, so whatever you have, give to the poor, treasure in heaven, and this is all what we saw in Luke, but it says, come, take up your cross, and follow me. So again, I want you to leave this world stuff, and I want you to come follow me, and I want you to risk, risk your life doing so. Come follow me. And so I need you to make a choice here. But he was lacking faith. He would not give up what he had in his hands to receive God's promise. He had, I, I'm, I'm young, I'm rich, I'm in authority. Remember even what the Pharisees said, well, well if, Jesus, uh, you know, if Jesus continues, we're going to lose our place. We're going to lose what we have. I don't want to lose what I have. You know, 
Uh, it, it, it costs too much. I don't want to do that. And so he's not willing to give what was in his hands to receive God's promise. Let me, let me just give you this one for, for a minute. If I told you, um, let's see, uh, Rob is a trusting sort. I'll try him. Um, Rob, if you give me your car, your house, and all your money, I'll give you $20 million. Would you take the deal? Now remember, you're, you're shaking your head yes, I don't believe you. Okay. <laughs> because at first it sounds like a what? This is a scam, right? This is a scam. That's the problem. And that's, that's, there's the problem. Because why would you not make this deal? Okay? Why would you not make this deal? The reason you would not make this deal is like, where is the pastor going to get $20 million? <laughs> right? And then if he had $20 million, what on earth would he want with my car? You, know, you ever think about this, like the people that you call in, it's just, you know, we'll call in and, and the psychics tell you your lucky lotto numbers. Okay? Why don't they just play their own lucky lotto numbers and they wouldn't have to be on the phone answering, you know, telling you what to do? Okay, never mind. Um, the reason he says no to this deal is because I don't trust the person who's offering it. Okay? And, that, and it goes back to good master. And Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? Do you really believe that I'm God? And the answer to this question is going to be no. Because if God asks you to give it and do it, And it says he went away sorrowful. To me, that means there was a struggle. Because he's like, ask me to tell me something else. Tell me to do something else. He says, I'm asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to trust me. If you give this stuff away and you come follow me, I will give you eternal life. I will give you treasures, manifold treasures that you cannot even imagine or even think about. And he goes, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. And he walked away. Not trusting the person who made the promise. Sorrowful. He did not obey. He left. He departed. Now, what I want you to tell you is I believe the disciples, remember, these are lessons for the disciples. I believe the disciples were standing there with their eyes wide and going like, oh. <laughs> We've seen Jesus go after the Pharisees before. And everything indicated Jesus loved this man. Jesus cared about this man. Wow. Because you look, look what follows this. Verse number 24, and when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he looked at his disciples and said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the, a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when they heard it, another passage says it was Peter that said, well, Lord, if, if this is right, who then can be saved? 
Is there any hope for any of us? It's like this, this young man did everything in his power. This young man fell at your feet. He called you master. He, he's, he's obeyed all the commandments, and he's, he's, he has a heart to know what is right. And if he can't be saved, who, who can? And Jesus says, it's difficult. I, I was teasing Ben about this earlier. It's difficult for rich mans to get to heaven. Um, um, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible, okay? And that's the key to this, to actually to this story. This guy's a pretty good guy. Mark chapter 10, again, going back to what we saw before, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Here's the key word here. I'm sorry. It's difficult for those who have wealth in this world. And, and again, by the way, lest you think we're talking about, you know, some person a whole lot more wealthy than you, again, if we take your average, <laughs> your average income or yearly income and compare it with the world's, you know, um, average income, you and I fall in the rich category, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, difficult for those who have wealth. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I don't, I don't think I have it up here, but Mark 10, 26 said they were astonished above measure. They were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It's not just the fact that they have them, it's that they're trusting him. I'm not willing to give this up for this. I'm not willing to make the change. I don't believe you. And again, it's like one of those let's make a deal things, okay? I, those of you that watch that in morning. Um, I have this in my possession. And if the host of let's make a deal was to say, I guarantee you that behind curtain one is the big deal of the day. If you give all of this up, you can have the big deal of the day. The answer to whether that person accepts it or doesn't is like, do I trust him? I have all this stuff right now. Would I want to risk that based on his word? And that is what this young man is doing. Do I want to risk what I have in this world and this life on the words of this man that's standing before me, on the words of Jesus? Do I want to risk it? I'm trusting what I have. Camels don't go through eyes of needles, okay? Now, Now, some have suggested, and the, the next slide, uh, some have suggested that, oh, it, it's the needle gate in Jerusalem, and the camel gets down real low, and he can work his way. No, no, no. Don't even, I don't know why we listen to this kind of stuff, okay? It's honest-to-goodness needle, and it's an honest, matter of fact, in Matthew and Mark, the needle is a sewing needle, the eye of a sewing needle. And in Luke, which should be no surprise to you, he's Dr. Luke, it's the eye of a needle used to, uh, to sew up. Uh, it's a surgical needle, okay? So in both cases, the idea is a camel. Now, I guess you can make a camel really, really, really small. Okay. The whole point is it's impossible, and that's, that's what Jesus is trying to say. It's impossible. Matter of fact, the Talmud changed it to elephant, okay, to kind of emphasize the fact that no, okay? Uh, and so... Uh, 
They were astonished out of measure. Oh, I do have 26. Among those, who then can be? It's like, what, what's going on? It's impossible for camels and it's impossible for rich men. But it's not impossible for God. Notice verse number 27. He said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Because somehow we missed. Somehow that rich man missed Verse 17, let's go backwards to 18, verse 18 is where the certain ruler came. Verse number 17, verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall no wise enter in. What is the key to getting in? What do we have to do? You have to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. You have to believe by faith that Jesus is who he said he is. And that's the problem here. The problem with this rich young ruler is the exact same problem the Pharisees had. They looked at Jesus, and Jesus says, I am the Son of God. I am the Savior of the world. I am the Messiah sent from God. They go, no, I don't believe you. You're a nice guy, but yeah. Same problem. This guy goes, you're asking me to give up all this stuff and believe that you really are the Messiah. Can't do it. Now, I love this last part. Very quickly, we'll look at this last part. Verse number 28, Peter said, um, been thinking a little bit, and that's always dangerous, Peter, um, been thinking a little bit, um, now we've left all and followed you, what about us, are we okay? <laughs> that's hilarious to me, he's been following Jesus for who knows how long, okay, and he's like, oh man. Are we saved? <laughs> this is almost like Peter doubting his own salvation. It's like, um, are, 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 are we okay? <laughs> we, we, we left our stuff. He, now, that guy, I noticed that he wasn't willing to leave his stuff, but, but we did. Are, are we all right? <laughs> and he's basically checking with God, what about us? Are we all right? And uh, the response is, uh, remember what it says here? This is, this, is a, this is a flashback to the other one. When Jesus, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing you lack, go thy way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and then you shall have treasure in heaven. Take it, come, take up thy cross, and follow me. Did Peter do that? Did John do that? Did James do that? Did those guys do that? Okay. And Peter's thinking in his small, tiny little brain, he said, I think we did. <laughs> it's like, I left my boat, I left my fish. We've done that. Jesus responds, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Peter, that no man, having left house or parents or brethren or wife or children, I'm, I'm sorry, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life eternal. Peter, you won't be sorry that you're dead. What about us? We've left all of our... Uh, Peter, you won't be sorry. House, parents, brothers, wife, children, fish, boats, nets, family. Peter, your faith will be rewarded. There'll be no regrets. Manifold, notice what he says here. Manifold more in this present time. Now, obviously, we're not talking about things. Now, I offered, I, offered, I offered Rob more money for all the stuff that he would give me, okay? 
But this, Jesus was offering him more than money, more than things. You give up these earthly things, and I will give you treasures beyond your imagination. In this world, things that will mean more to you in this world, and I will give you everlasting life in the world to come. The rich young ruler was not willing to make the exchange because he didn't trust the person who was offering it to him. And he went away sorrowful, and I'm sure it broke the heart of Jesus as well, because it said Jesus loved him. And he walked away because he'd rather have his stuff than Jesus. I did have a young man one time, high school, tell me, uh, we had, a, we had an assembly, this was a long time ago, we had an assembly down in Florida at a church school that I was a part of. And the man encouraged the young people to, to destroy their bad music that they were listening to and, and, and start listening to the right kind of stuff. And some of the kids responded and we talked about it later in our Bible class and one of the young men said to me, well, he says, uh, I've got this sound system, this super stereo system that's amazing, and he kind of described all the woofers and tweeters and all the other stuff that, I, I, woofers and tweeters were birds and dogs to me, but I, I don't know. Um, and, and, and he's describing all this sound system stuff, and, um, and he says, if Jesus himself, he says, I'm not going by what that guy said, because if Jesus himself asked me to get rid of it, I couldn't do it. If Jesus himself asked me to get rid of it, I couldn't do it. And that's the story of the rich young ruler. He wanted to know. But he didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was or that Jesus could fulfill the promise. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. I don't know if somebody here doesn't know you as Savior. I don't know what's keeping them from putting their faith and trust in you. I don't know what they think, what they think they might have to give up or what they might think they would lose to do so. Jesus promised that there's manifold more in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Why would you not want to exchange what you have for that? Father, I pray we'd believe you. I pray that we would trust you. That we trust your word. Thank you for your offer of salvation. Seems impossible that anyone could get to heaven. And it is impossible if they try to earn their way there. But people get to heaven because all things are possible. And God has extended his love and his invitation that if we accept him by faith as a little child, we can have eternal life. Thank you so much. May we learn from the lessons that you've shared with us today. In Jesus' name.